0: everyone. Welcome to Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards. This is the, the podcast where we explore how to get out of your own way. How do you take that first step or that next step in what you're wanting to accomplish and what you're wanting to achieve? Of course, the name is based on the idea that imperfect action beats perfect inaction. You know, sometimes the, the best thing we can do is just get out of our own way. And so today, our guest is Jay Coons. And Jay, I'm going to have you just introduce yourself really quick.
1: Thanks, Brock, and thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Yeah, I uh, have been a longtime hospital HR executive, healthcare HR executive, and about four years ago made a pretty dramatic move to join a recruitment process outsourcing and consulting firm to lead their national healthcare practice, and I'm one of the executives with the team there. And uh it's been a wild and exciting and unbelievably fulfilling transition, which I wasn't entirely sure how that was gonna play out. So I think that journey is kind of right in line with what uh what you're gonna be asking me. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I want to
0: dig into that a little bit. So hospital executive, that sounds like you know, very stable job. People don't stop getting sick. And <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, it's that job's always going to be there. And yet you, you left uh, this very stable job. You were doing well in your career and said, hey, I want to go work for this small firm that seems to be doing well, but uh, certainly doesn't have the same level of stability. And so, you know, that, that's a risk. What, what made you take that leap?
1: Well, it's a great question. And it's one that I spent actually a lot of time trying to answer for myself because I had been doing hospital HR for 20 years, loved it, I feel very much at home in the hospital setting, whether it's a clinical setting or administrative setting, and was blessed to work for a fabulous organization and felt like I was making a difference too, which is always kind of the secret sauce of your career, right, at least for me. It's one thing if you enjoy your job, but if you feel like you're actually contributing in a meaningful way to the organization, then my gosh, why would you ever leave that? Um, but one of the things that i um discovered was that I really, really, really like uh social and digital and contemporary tools and progressive thinking and implemented a number of those things in my uh, last organization, but kind of felt that call to take it in a different direction and um This opportunity came up with Kinetics, and it was something that I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't get out of my head that it was out there. And I had taken a number of risks earlier in my career to either take bold moves in jobs or literally move across the country for a job. And this just kind of fit my take the risk, go for it, life's a wild adventure, And stability, while comforting, can often get really dull really fast. And so that was kind of the backstory.
0: Okay. Yeah, Jay. I mean, one of the things I know about you, uh, and of course, we've talked in the past before, we know each other, but I mean, you you don't have your own business. So not an entrepreneur in that sense, but uh, definitely have a very entrepreneurial mindset. And you mentioned that in in the past, you'd taken some bold moves. Uh, Obviously, they panned out. Well, so a couple of questions come from that. You know, one is, how do you decide to take that bold move? In fact, well, let me just have you answer that one first. You know, what, how do you decide between, hey, do I make this leap or not?
1: Yeah, so the decision making process was pretty, was pretty wild. Um, One of the things that I value so much about hospitals. And I right now work exclusively with hospitals, and long-term care companies anyway. So it's been, from that perspective, a seamless transition. Uh, I I get to help lots of organizations instead of just one. But it may sound hokey for those of your listeners who haven't worked in a either not-for-profit or hospital or healthcare system, but the mission of those organizations is something that you internalize as an employee whether you're an employee in an entry-level role all the way up to an executive. And when I was evaluating whether or not I wanted to make this transition, I needed to make sure that the, the company that I was joining had a mission that I could believe in. What is it that they do? Because there are a lot of great companies and they have great cultures, but what they do is not anything I want to necessarily be involved with. And so looking at a company like uh, Kinetics, where I work now, where we help people find jobs, we help companies that are growing and that are committed to their people to find the right people to help them be successful and build their cultures. That's a pretty good thing. And I had to do a lot of personal reflection around that. That was kind of number one. And this second one is going to sound maybe a little bit silly, but I opened up my Outlook calendar, the Monday through Friday view. Because it doesn't matter what we say we like or want to do or what we say we spend our time on, when you look at your Monday through Friday view of your calendar, that's where you spend your waking hours, right? Mm -hmm. And I averaged about 25 to 30 meetings every single week. So no matter what I was passionate about or loved or wanted to be involved with, that's actually where I was spending my time. And probably a third of that time I loved and two-thirds was either redundant or pretty bureaucratic or just required because of that industry. But it wasn't anything that I was moving the needle on one way or another. And So the combination of those two things helped me make the decision to – to uh, make the move. And there was a lot of risk, uh, but it was exciting too. I got to tell you, there was a lot of excitement around that decision.
0: Yeah. I mean, and what I hear you saying there is it wasn't just the like meetings, you know, no one ever says, Hey, I love meetings. Mm -hmm. But, but you, I mean, you mentioned moving the dot, moving the needle, you know, that, that there's, it's not just that there were meetings or where your time was being spent, but it sounds like almost, you know, the outcomes that were being created,
1: Yeah, it was a lot of administrative stuff. And I felt like as I transitioned to this strategic HR executive consulting role that I'm in, I had this new lens all of a sudden that I was looking at the work I did for many years and many of my friends and colleagues and clients do now. And those meetings and issues and discussions are so important on the inside. And now that I am looking in with this fresh set of eyes, I think that's not improving patient care. That's not improving employee engagement. That's not driving revenue. That's not aligning the people strategies of the organization to the uh, strategic growth plan of the organization. It's just internal, political. We need to have these meetings because we've always had them. And that Mm. perspective for me uh, has been... uh, quite profound actually, because I was so convinced of, wow, we have this really important meeting and we have to make sure we have this meeting on Monday. And then we're going to include these two senior physician leaders on Tuesday and have the same meeting. Why in the world would you have the same meeting twice? Invite the people that need to know, have the meeting as quickly as possible, include everyone and get back to work. And so it's been this eye-opening thing for me which I'm not embarrassed to say I lived that old life because it was important and I was doing the best that I could at that time. But there is an opportunity to think about and consider work very differently as we move to the future of work. The future of work is not all tech, although that's a big part of it. It's not all gig workers, although that's going to be a big part of it. It already is today. But it's how we think about how we do the work that I think is so intriguing and where there can be a lot of value added because the less time you're in meetings and the more time you spend on patient care, employee engagement, candidate experience, and driving revenue, now all of a sudden you have a pretty amazing culture. Now you have a pretty successful organization. I have my hospital blinders on as usual, but so I'll make those references. But if that is the focus versus what is really adding value to our core, mission, our core deliverables, our core services, products, uh, you really start to change how you work. And uh, in my role now, I'm able to offer some of that and engage with senior leaders around that. And We can really, instead of talking about things and worrying about the political hoops we have to jump, we simply start doing things. And nine times out of 10, people don't get in the way. They see someone who's dynamic and courageous and a bit of a risk taker. Usually that's a political risk, not real risk. And off we go. And suddenly there are new robust career sites and social strategies and digital strategies, engagement and hiring and all these things that can happen if a few leaders are willing to take the risk and think about, I will say, the future of work today very differently.
0: You know, it's really easy to say tethered to the known uh, versus, you know, venturing out there into kind of the unknown. And of course, you're talking about hospitals and not everyone's working in a hospital, but I I see some really great connections there because, you know, whether you do have a day job, you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to get a side hustle going, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, like what should I be spending my time on? And it's easy to get caught up in what you've always done or what seems important or but isn't necessarily the most important thing. How how do you help these executives and hospitals really drill down and identify what is most important for them to be spending
1: their time on? You know, it's a a great uh, question, and it's also a, a huge challenge, right? Because we all, in our own way, regardless of industry or sector that we work in, we all want to be focused on the right things. We all want to take action on the right things. But there's this little issue of fear that comes in, right? So what's the CFO going to say? What's the COO going to say? What's this other senior leader going to say? And how do we get focused? And so one of the things that's been helpful for me in a consulting capacity, in a strategic uh, partner type capacity, is let's talk about the most important pain points that you, in my case, it's often the senior HR executives that I'm talking with initially, what are those pain points? And I'm not talking about, oh, we need a wellness plan. Let's remove Gatorade from the cafeteria. That's not a wellness plan. That's not a pain point. That's actually called a menu option. So let's move off of that. Those are like noisy things that sometimes HR folks hide behind. But what are the pain points that the other senior leaders are raising with you that must be fixed? That's where we start. So if our benefits plan design is clunky, we need to react to that if they're getting a lot of complaints. If our recruitment process is slow and we have a bunch of reasons why it's slow, but we keep hearing about it, then we're, we're not confronting that. We're not addressing that. We need to do a thorough diag- diagnostic review of our recruiting function so that we can change it. It's okay to change it. Uh, I think back to when there would be times when members of my team would come in to me and say, hey, this is the situation, but our policy says this. And I'd say, well, I've always hated that policy. And they'd say, well, that's the policy. I said, well, I'm eliminating the policy because it was so frequently coming up. They said, well, you can't do that. I said, yeah, throw it away, take it off the shared drive, it's gone. Now, can everybody do that? No, but the point here is the rules that we often follow are our own rules. We can change them. If we have problems, but there's some sort of arcane rule that we at the time made sense, but no longer applies, change the rule. Identify those key pain points and start delivering for your internal customers. Because I would submit that every HR leader who's listening to this show and any operations leader who's listening to this show is looking at HR as an internal consultant anyway. We might as well be uh, an external agency that's been brought in house because that's what we're there for, to provide consultative support on a whole host of issues, right? Recruitment, employee relations, labor relations, you name it. So why wouldn't we try to identify the most difficult, challenging problems and attack them versus acquiescing and saying, you know what, this is how it is in our business. You know how it is in insurance. You know how it is in hospitals. You know how it is in a startup. You know how it is in tech. No, I don't know. I know that we're not confronting the issues Maybe we can't think of that on our own. So call somebody who can help you. Call your friend. Ask your friends who they know. And not necessarily a subject matter expert. Ask somebody who is smart, right? For me, one of the things that I've loved the most is being able to work with people who are really smart. They don't necessarily have the expertise in these individual disciplines. I just want to work with smart people. Because we can come up with ideas and solutions and we can perhaps engage with other leaders in a way that they know, those executives who have that pain that they're directing back to us, they, when we talk to them in this kind of collaborative, strategic way and we admit that, hey, we don't have the answer, let's talk about it, let's brainstorm this together, suddenly we're on the same team. HR isn't the scapegoat anymore, HR is the partner. Trying to get their perspective. We don't always have to feel like we know what's best and we know everything. We just need to get with smart people because that's how the best ideas get implemented. So I have a real fondness for that collaborative sit down, let's roll up our sleeves, let's figure this out. I don't want to come in the room and have everybody look at me and say, well, just preach the gospel of the answers. Well, I don't know the answers because I need to do a deep dive into what's happening with you. And then let's talk about what's worked and let's brainstorm some ideas. That seems to be so powerful and it gets a level of engagement. And I mean like senior level engagement here where there's no more CYA happening. A lot of times in executive suites, people get to these really, really high level jobs and then they realize, wow, there's a lot of risk up here. (laughs) I'm a target up here, right? I can't hide in the crowd because I'm at the top of the mountain. Well, when you can start to build that camaraderie at that level, suddenly those defensive walls come down. Suddenly we're starting to think about future of work, but fixing the pain today within the concept and construct rather of what do we need to keep going forward? Because we know things are going to be a little different in a few years. So I just have found that to be not only incredibly powerful, and been able to help organizations with some breakthrough thinking there. But also, they get along better. And it's fun. Hard work can be fun. Just because it's hard doesn't equal bad. I, I used to ask employees all the time when I would round. I'm passionate about rounding. It's the thing I missed most out of being a hospital executive. I loved rounding and connecting with everybody. And I used to say the same thing over and over and over. Ask me a question, but please don't ask me an easy one. Because you already know the answer to the easy one. Ask me the hard one that you're afraid to ask so we can have a real conversation about what's on your mind. And so that sort of connectedness with people, regardless of level, I think is one of the most powerful things.
0: So I love that. Ask me a question, but don't ask me an easy one. So, well, let me turn this a little bit. Actually, let me build on that because I, you know, when you talk about pain points, you know, like where there's pain, that's easy to identify. Like this just really sucks here. We've got to fix this. Yep. But there's another level that, you know, kind of goes through my head that is maybe even from my perspective, more dangerous than a pain point. And it's just kind of that middle of the road point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, Like it's comfortable enough that no one's saying, hey, we have to fix this now. And yet isn't great, isn't stellar, doesn't excite anyone. It's, you know, just good enough to not suck. So how do you, how do you get people on board? Cause I know you're shooting for excellence. So how do you get them on board with the, yeah, we need to improve this thing that no one's really identified as being a bad thing
1: yet. Yeah. So that's a really interesting question, Brock, because, um, candidly the, the companies that I have the privilege to work with, uh, do not engage with, uh, kinetics or me then into kinetics because they're just middle of the road. Um, they engage because uh, we had one client that said, look, we have a net 5,000 new jobs we need to add in the next couple years and we need help. We had another that said, we're growing like crazy and our recruitment team can't handle the load. I need additional horsepower. Uh, so there's already, by the time someone wants to work with us, they are at a point where there is so much pressure that whether they want to admit it or they want to deal with it or not, they now have to. Mm. So I rarely have somebody call. Actually, I never have anybody call and say, Jay, we're doing great. We'd love to work with you. I don't get that call. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't get that call. Quite honestly, I don't want that call because if they're doing great and I come in and anything changes at all, then it's my fault. Right. So I want to be in a situation where it's pretty rough Because then there's a lot of opportunities to make an impact, and it's fun when you start to see things improve, right? Mm -hmm. So, what, but what maybe is a way to answer your question is how do we get everyone engaged? So, there might be, holy cow, we have all these jobs to fill, but then there's all these other people that have to be involved in that process, right? Hiring managers, other executives, et cetera. And they may not be interested at all, they may just want to plot along. And so, then it really becomes, Uh, building the business case, what are they responsible for? And also, quite honestly, sometimes we talk pretty candidly with clients about uh, accountability of the leadership. If the leaders, uh, because we're very much an analytics driven company, we track everything our team does from the employer brand recruitment marketing side and all the robust strategies there to all the recruiting. So we are very clear about what we deliver and when we deliver it and what needs to happen on the other side and if the uh, if the leaders aren't engaged then it becomes painfully obvious for them and we don't we're not out to get anybody but we just simply report what's happening and so there is a way some folks have engaged with us actually and said we see you as part of our accountability strategy because we need to address these recruitment needs but we have a number of leaders who are struggling and you're going to help make it abundantly clear because you're this new load of horsepower into our health system and all of a sudden You're just showing all these candidates you submit. and We're still not getting any hires, for example. So then they can have a conversation with that hiring leader like, hey, you got to get moving here. You're not filling your jobs, right? We can't keep spending money on contract labor and overtime when we have a recruiting partner that's delivering you quality candidates. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that can happen. Even comes down to launching employer brand strategies where we really, really, really work hard to get the senior leadership team engaged on social, building their own personal brands. Uh, As I have said a thousand times, the safest content you can ever share professionally is your own organization's content that's already been posted on the web. Mm. So, and I'll ask, I do loads of training around this, and I'll ask the executives, how many of you share your own organization's content every day? Or sometimes I'll ask the question, who in this room do you think shares the most content about your organization?" And they all get these nervous looks and they look at me and they say, please tell me it's not you, Jay. And I say, oh, it's me. As a matter of fact, it is me because every one of the clients that I work closely with, I share their content every single day. Because I'm trying to role model, you can post content on LinkedIn, you can share it on Facebook, you can retweet things so easily. It takes a second, as you know, Brock, you well know. It's a simple thing. So I should not be the champion for these organizations. Their own leadership should be. So it's a little bit of a shaming play, a little bit of a poking fun play, but it's a real life example of even in those situations where they've already engaged with us, we're already partners, we're already producing tons of content for them on the employer brand side, they still need to be reminded to get on board because they're just not used to taking action. There's that safety and comfort versus taking a little bit of a risk being out on social media the world's not going to end you'll be okay (laughs) but we have to kind of help them get there and then many of them embrace it and become absolute champions for their brands and it's phenomenal and then that trickles down of course as they roll it out with their teams
0: yeah so those are awesome questions by the way jay i I love that (laughs) to uh, get them thinking about who who is doing the most championing Uh of the business that they are most vested in yeah that's right you, you know, you said something there and you said it really kind of casually and then moved on to something else. And yet I, I want to go back and revisit it because I think it's really, really super important. You had mentioned that, uh, you know, you want situations that are rough. Yeah. And I think that's important because that is a different mindset. And I think that is kind of at the heart of what I think of when I think of you having an entrepreneurial mindset that I think a lot of people want situations that that are easy And you know, simple, and that I think there's almost this this line of thought that the higher you go in an organization, the less problems you you have, the less you have to deal with, and which, of course, you know,
1: the opposite is yeah, completely true. Yep. Yeah, you see all the (laughs) problems now, not just the stuff in your department. Yeah, you get them all. Yep.
0: Yeah, and not only do you get them all, but you probably don't have control over them. You at best have some influence over them. Yeah, absolutely. but the idea of hey, I want to take on problems. I want to seek them out. I mean, I I personally believe that everyone's job description is exactly the same. That that all of our jobs are to solve problems. Now, you know, in our different roles, that looks different, different and yeah. differently. Yep, different Absolutely. Problems, but, yeah. but if a problem didn't exist, we wouldn't be paid, right? Like that's right. And so it, it always stuns me a little when people you know complain about the problems in their job that they have to deal with. It's like, well, yeah. But you've taken that to another level. I mean, it's not just, yeah, I need to, you know, deal with these things in my job. You've taken it to the, no, throw me into the tough situation. You know, the, the easy situation's boring. There's, I, you know, I'm putting words in your mouth here because I like problems too. But, you know, yeah. it, it's not filling. It, it's not exciting. It's, you know, if I know how to solve it, I'm not interested really. It's just, right. then it's kind of a maintenance thing.
1: Yeah, I really, I really enjoy that type of work, and it, I, I think it's because, um, as you know, I have an ultra-competitive side to me. So part of it is, as I've kind of done some self-analysis on this over the years, um, it's like a personal challenge to me. Here's this difficult set of circumstances. Whether it was when I was on the, you know, quote-unquote corporate side of life, or now in my consulting role. Uh, Am I going to let these things run over me? Am I going to throw my hands up? Or am I going to run towards the fire versus run away from the fire? And so, as you can imagine, a number of the projects that I've been involved with, there were a lot of difficult circumstances. And uh, one of my client colleagues and I have often said, we run toward the fire versus hiding in the office, hiding behind excuses. And I mean, literally. So if there's an area that's really troublesome for whatever reason, culture, recruitment, employee relations, literally going there, <laughs> right? <laughs> sitting down with a leader, sitting, this sounds silly, but a lot of people won't do it. And if there are things where I have stumbled, then that's not excuse time. It's like, okay, so I tried that. It didn't work. Let's deconstruct why that didn't work. What's the backstory? What didn't I know? How can we build a plan today that gets us moving? What's your role going to be beyond just me? In my old uh, HR hospital days, a lot of times it was a look to HR to solve the problem, which I never accepted. It was, we are going to solve the problem. And so HR would have a responsibility for certain deliverables as well as the operations department. Because if we're not all pulling, this is cheesy, old, overly used phrase, but if we're not all pulling in the same direction, it's a waste right? It's total waste. That's like blaming the hiring managers. Well, if they just did it right and followed our rules, everything would be perfect. Well, that makes no sense. Maybe our rules aren't good. When was the last time we looked at our process or our expectations? Right. What, what is that hiring leader going through? You know, I, at a point in time in my career, I moved out of HR for about a year and did um, operations over three big clinical areas. And it was fascinating because I suddenly went from everything in HR is so critically important to the HR forms and things and tasks that I was supposed to do became like number eight on the list because I was rounding on our patients with the physician leader. I was dealing with the nurse directors. I was holding staff meetings. I was dealing with a major billing problem in the pharmacy. Then I worried about the HR form. But in HR, we think, my gosh, this is a required form. Well, so what if it's a required form? Tell that to the patient on dialysis. Do you think they care about your HR form? No, they don't. So that was a real helpful time for me to have some valuable experience on the operations side and bring that back into HR and really get into, okay, what is the pain, right? Not my forms. What does that leader need from me the most? That's where I build my priority list to kind of circle back to that. Mm. And the pain is always the worst stuff, right? Right
0: yeah so important to see it through the, your customers' eyes, you know whether that's an internal or external customer yeah. and, and that's hard to do
1: It is hard to do because I do everybody does to some degree we get caught up in our stuff, right right You know the joke if you give a person a full time job at only thirty hours of work, they'll fill it up into forty right right, and they'll feel busy <laughs> Well, they're actually not busy, they're not productive, so it's that whole balance workforce engineering. You know, All of these things come into play, but to circle back to your original kind of follow-up question, I want the hard stuff because that's going to matter the most. People are going to feel like you're actually helping them versus an overhead department that's required. I wanted to be the value-add guy. I wanted to be the one that wasn't afraid, uh, and I still feel that way.
0: Yeah, so you've had this career in human resources, and not everyone has a career in human resources or in hospitals, but you've had a vantage point that very few people do. Where do you see people tend to get in their own way the most when it comes to their career?
1: Who, boy, that's a good one. I would say there's probably two tracks, and one is, as I see people, uh, I, I have seen, as we all have, folks who are strong up-and-comers. They're aggressive, and I don't mean that in a negative way. They're hungry, they're working hard, they're volunteering for teams, they're putting themselves out there, and they're starting to move up the chain. And then something happens when you break through to a director level or an executive level. The money is now different, the pressure is now different, and suddenly we're going to maybe play it a little safer now Mm. because, boy, I've got a lot to lose now. And so the person that we saw coming up through the ranks that we were all so excited about and thought, boy, they have earned this breakthrough opportunity. And now they've shifted from sixth gear to third gear. That's not gonna serve them long-term, right? Why do we see directors fail who were on a meteoric rise? I think because they start to play safe versus being that person who is so impactful and so many people want to be around, and they're so energized. They just create an aura that their turnover is lower, their performance is better. But once you start to play it safe, you start compromising. And I think that's a, a major, major problem. Okay. I also think so. That, there, so that was one uh, we struggled you know, with. There, was there another
0: track there? Leaders.
1: We're happy to hammer the staff. Uh, but once leaders start stumbling, how much rope do we give them? How much time do they have to turn things around? If we thought about the organizations we've served over the years, are there leaders that have been there a long time that are just we would consider not really worth having there? I bet we could all name some. Why are they still there? I always viewed HR's role as get them out force the operations people to get them out because operations leaders will admit that they're not doing a good job. Well, then what's the plan? Well, you know, they've been here a long time. I don't care how long they've been here. Do you think our patients care how long they've been here? Do you think our brand new hires who are excited to join the team and then they see that behavior from their leader, is that going to keep them here? Are they going to roar through one year of experience and jump? So for me, there's a real opportunity uh, because most leaders are really good. But the ones that aren't good stick out like a sore thumb. Why would we want them on our team? I don't know why, but for some reason, a lot of them get to stay. So I would say those two things. Don't play it it safe. And then driving that level of accountability at the leadership level, I think, could be extremely impactful in terms of culture. Because culture is not driven from the ground up. I don't care what anybody says. Leadership sets the tone. We hire. We fire. We approve vacations. We approve schedules. We approve purchasing. We change technology. Uh, we set strategic direction. We do the budget. Leadership does everything. So when when leaders tell me the staff are driving them crazy, I completely categorically reject that. Hmm. They don't have any power yeah. in our our corporate structure in America. There is no true empowered frontline staff. I don't care about Zappos. They did away with job titles. Everybody still has the same role. The HR leaders right. still have are still HR leaders. They just don't have a title. Everybody knows what their job is. I mean, that's just that's just gamesmanship that's not that's not truly driving that major culture change
0: you know we could kick off about another hour-long conversation right on that last sentence there jay uh and
1: (laughs) sorry i'm rolling today man this is a great show i love it
0: (laughs) well well uh, you know we need to start wrapping up here and so let me ask uh, a couple things first off is just you know uh One, where can people find you on the internet? How can they connect with you?
1: Sure, yeah. I'm uh, a bit of a uh, social media crazy person, so lots of content out there. Um, Pretty busy on Twitter. My handle there is the letter J, the letter R, K-U-H-N-S, and uh, I've been – uh, dabbling in the blogging space for a while, and I have a blog called noexcuseshr.com. That's been uh, a labor of love, really fun. So those two, and I'm on LinkedIn and Swarm and Pinterest and Facebook and all the things, but uh, Twitter and uh, No noexcuseshr are good spots to kind of get a sense of who I am.
0: Excellent. So a question I like to ask people is how can the audience help you, Jay? You've provided a lot of great information, a lot of great ideas. How can they help you out and what you've got going on? So I'd say
1: two-part answer. Uh, First part is um, love to connect with folks, not because it's some sort of veiled sales pitch. That's actually not even how we do things at Kinetics. We have a very unorthodox way of growing our company, so I wouldn't want folks worried about that. I am really, really focused now uh, just beginning a new phase of my journey, speaking of entrepreneurial things, thinking about um, uh, how do you get some of the brightest, most progressive, biggest risk risk takers in HR leadership talking to each other? Because I don't really know that there's a forum for that. There are attempts and fits and starts, but I just don't see it. And I want to be a part of something like that. So why not try to build it? So I'd love to connect with folks. That would be a wonderful way to help. Uh, And the other way that they can help me is by being courageous. Be bold. Um, You're not going to hurt yourself. You're going to distance yourself from the pack, and you're going to start making a difference like you wouldn't have expected simply because you're taking more action. Uh, Folks won't get in your way. People don't do that. You may think they will, and they may try to huff and puff and do a little posturing, but don't stop. Do not stop. It makes a profound difference. So be courageous as a leader. That's why you're getting paid.
0: Yeah, love all this, Jay. I mean, you know, just looking over my notes here, you know, just... I love that concept of seeking out situations that that are rough that are running towards the fire you know you talk about the danger of playing safe versus the benefits of being impactful uh, in fact you know from my perspective you've really built your career around focusing on being impactful versus anything else uh so so much great stuff to come away with really
1: appreciate you being on the show here today oh I loved it thanks for having me Brock
0: hey thank you for listening to imperfect action today Let me know what your favorite takeaway was. What what are you going to take from this show and put into action in your life right now today to help you move forward? Hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. I'm dying to hear how is this show helping you to move forward? Now, one of the things I want to mention was that today's episode was brought to you by NutraFit. Now, I tried NutraFit's whey protein supplement after meeting the founder and hearing about his journey and his commitment to quality. I like to support up and coming businesses, so I gave it a try and I was really amazed at it. Now, I've had a lot of different protein drinks, but what made NutriFit different is one, that it mixes immediately and also that the chocolate flavor actually tasted like chocolate. You know, so often they taste that like some kind of chemical engineering science project rather than just like food. And on top of that, NutriFit has no artificial sweeteners, colors, or preservatives, Plus, it includes probiotics, and I find it to be easy on the stomach. Now, the true taste test of it all is that my teenage daughter even likes it. She often has a shaker cup in the morning just on her way to school. Now, there are a lot of supplement brands on the market, but I do want to mention that NutraFit happens to be my personal favorite. And as a listener of Imperfect Action, you get 15% off of any order. When you're at checkout, after you've picked out your products, just use the code TAKEACTION. And that's written as one word, just Take Action. At checkout. Now, my personal favorite, and I'm not trying to influence you here, but is the double chocolate whey protein. And you can order right on NutriFit's website. That's N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T-T. There's two T's in there. So NutriFit.net. And let me know what you think.